Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton's vacant home tax is going to come back. We're also talking about housing, carbon emissions in the city, Black Friday shopping, and the Rainbow Bridge crash. All that on the GMH podcast. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. There is a new policy that uh, is designed to increase Hamilton's housing supply. However, it was defeated at the 11th hour on Wednesday. It's the vacant home tax, you may have heard about this, which uh, initially received approval last winter and was set for implementation in 2024, although earlier this week, in a tie vote at City Hall, it was nixed. Supporters of this tax are now hoping it's going to be reintroduced at a future city meeting. Rinder Nan is the councillor for Ward 3 with the City of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Councillor Nan, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm well. How are you? I'm okay. What the heck happened on Wednesday? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking myself the same question. But uh, so what ended up happening is... Um, Usually there's a routine section at the back end of our agendas um, at council where we ratify or approve the final, we call them the bills, uh, that includes the bylaws that enable the city as a corporation to enact its policies or routine work. It's very rare to not have the entire group of bills be voted on together. Um, and it's very rare to have any votes opposing the bill to basically give the administration the opportunity to go forward with the work. And so when it came to a vote, uh, it ended up in a tie. Yeah. So uh, historically, and at the last opportunity, this term of council had to vote on it. The vacant home tax had an overwhelming majority support. Uh, it was a vote of 10 to 5. So on Wednesday, uh, it was a 6-6 split. Um, the mayor abstained from the vote, and I had to unfortunately step out of council in order to take care of matter for my mother who's in the hospital. Otherwise, so, it, otherwise it would have passed. Well, I mean, I, if I was there, it would have passed. If Councillor Crutch was there, it would have passed. If Councillor McNeekin was there, it would have passed. Um, so we are in a little bit of a procedural muddy moment, um, but I have complete confidence that come next council meeting, we'll be able to take care of that. Is questions really legitimately being raised, and this is a bit of inside baseball when it comes to municipal government, whether or not opposing a bill is actually in order, um, because it basically would undo what has already been done, and that usually takes a reconsideration motion, and that requires 75% of council to say, yeah, let's reconsider this. And so because that didn't happen procedurally, defeating a bill, I think uh, my understanding is uh, that that doesn't stop the program and policy from moving forward. Uh, it just means that the bylaw needs to be reintroduced. Hmm. So let's get to the the essence of this tax. Why is it important and, and what oh. do you hope it achieves? Yeah, great question, Rick. It is the lowest hanging fruit of municipal policy around housing supply increase uh, that has come into fruition. The first municipality to really kind of spearhead this program was the city of Vancouver. And subsequently, here in Ontario, Toronto has been um, seeing tremendous results. Uh, and then Ottawa and Hamilton were both kind of in tandem. We're going down the, the track with the province at the same time. We're going down the track with our respective councils around the same time. And then Peel Region is in the process of setting theirs up as well. And the importance of it, Rick, is that there are thousands of units in our municipality that are currently sitting vacant. 
And they're sitting vacant for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is that those who have bought residential properties here in Hamilton um, and are using them as an investment portfolio would soon rather keep them vacant than rent them out in order to sell it at the most opportune profit margin time. And when we've got a housing crisis like we do here in Hamilton, where we desperately need as many units as possible available to be rented out, um, it, that's not acceptable. And so what it does is it encourages folks to not keep their units vacant, instead put them on the market for rent. And if you otherwise have the means to keep it vacant and you're sitting on a couple of properties, you have the capacity to pay a 1% property tax on the value of your property towards the vacant unit. And then as a municipality, we have a bank um, of funds that we can use not only to cover the administration of the vacant unit tax, but also um, bank those dollars towards affordable housing initiatives. You mentioned uh, Toronto and Vancouver and Ottawa. They each have a a version of a vacant home or an empty home Mm -hmm. tax. In Toronto, it's actually, that tax is rising from 1% to 3% come the new year. And I I believe the last year, Toronto uh, generated $54 million from this vacant home tax. And that is only going to go up to about like $105 million by 2025. Is there evidence, however, that those cities are seeing more and more units opening up because of this tax? Uh, Yeah, so Vancouver had a staggering uh, outcome in terms of thousands of units being returned back into rental market. And that's the heart of this issue, right? That's the heart of this policy is that we don't want empty homes sitting empty. We want them occupied and helping people get out of the cold and help address the current, you know, wait list that we have of people trying to get into a housing in Hamilton. And so Vancouver has seen uh, a significant increase of housing supply returned back to the market and still subsequently made millions upon millions upon millions uh, that they've been able to allocate towards affordable housing. And that's the other side of the deal. And that is that um, those are much needed funds. And when we are in these scenarios as municipalities where due to inflation and many other factors, we're seeing rising, rising costs. For municipalities, we don't want to be sticking those on the tax bill for our residents to have to endure as a tax burden. Um, and so looking at revenue generation is part of new municipal fiscal frameworks that allow us to be uh, investing in the supports that are most needed in our cities without having to have taxpayers come up with the money to make it happen. And so tax revenue generation like this one Um, are real solutions, especially I was surprised for many of the fiscal conservatives around the table why they would try to oppose a policy that would actually alleviate pressure on the normal uh, residential tax base. It is a very interesting uh, conversation that will be had, especially at the next council meeting and beyond. Councillor Nan, appreciate the insight this morning. Enjoy your day and your weekend. Thank you. You too. Take care, everyone. That is Ward 3 Councillor Narendra Nan with the City of Hamilton uh, offering some details of the vacant home tax in this city that, as uh, she mentioned, is going to be reintroduced at the next council meetings. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We know that housing affordability, or as I like to say, the lack thereof, is certainly a huge factor in this city, this province, this country. And it was the overarching theme, really, from Finance Minister Christian Freeland's fiscal update earlier on this week with some measures 
the federal government believes might help people get into homes easier. There is certainly a conversation to be had, and we'll do that with one of the authors of the National Housing Accord. Michael Brooks is the CEO of RealPAC and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Michael, good morning. How are you? I'm great. Good morning, Rick. At uh, first blush, your thoughts on what uh, Minister Freeland had to say in terms of housing affordability and how the federal government is attacking this challenge? Well, I think you have to uh, start with some context here. Um, we have a little bit of a deficit problem. <laughs> we, you know, we have total national revenues of $470 billion, and we have a deficit projected of $40 billion. So we're overspending our income by about 8%, and she knows that. So... You know, the the numbers in this budget towards housing aren't huge, but she is making progress. And what she's telling Canadians is that, look, between now and the spring budget, we are going to roll out more provisions. Generally, though, I mean, uh, there are some good initiatives in here that we'll need to make progress, particularly around purpose-built rental housing construction. So um, there's a few things that tick the box of the list of things in the National Housing Accord. So we're pleased uh, from that perspective, but there's much more that needs to be done. So where are the gaps? What more needs to be done to get more homes built quicker? Well, of course, some of this is at the local level. Some of this is permissions. Um, and, you know, that's all around upzoning up around transit stations and upzoning on major thoroughfares and speeding up the approval process. What the federal government has done is top up the Rental Construction Finance Initiative, RCFI for short, which is a really good program that not-for-profit and for-profit builders use to finance construction. So that's a positive thing. Um, Supporting cooperative housing, that's positive. Um, And removing GST on cooperative housing, that's positive. So there are a number of positive steps. It's just that the numbers aren't that big yet. There was also a move to, in terms of the stress test and requalifying, and I know that doesn't go to home building, but could that uh, potentially open up units in this country? Yeah, I think that that's going to make it easier on homeowners. Um, I'm a homeowner, and uh, yeah, homeowners who have a mortgage renewing over the next two or three years who are nervous about um, a spike in their rental rates. Some of these provisions allow them to shop around without penalty to find uh, a better rate or or a better deal. So that's also, I think, a welcome provision in the fall economic statement for homeowners. Michael Brooks is the CEO of RealPAC and our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, one of the contributors to the National Housing Accord with uh, some bright ideas on how to get to more homes built and faster in this country. Uh, interest rates certainly standing in the way of many developers who are looking at those rates and thinking, I, I don't know if I want to proceed with the project that I'm planning. Let's r- wait for these rates to go down and we'll get a bigger bang for our buck. How big of a problem is this? It is the problem uh, right now. So many projects that for-profit and even not-for-profit uh, providers are contemplating, uh, have approvals for can't start because the interest rates are a little bit too high and the math doesn't work. So, um, yeah, we need either a a significant below rate construction program, uh, RCFI is a start, um, or we need interest rates to start trending down. Um, And I'm watching that very closely. I think we're hoping that interest rates start 
trending down perhaps the second half of 2024. Uh, we're all hoping so. And it's notable that the finance minister, Minister Freeland, is deliberately not trying to do anything which is inflationary. She knows that if we get inflation down, then the Bank of Canada's got the green light to start lowering interest rates. So she's very focused on that, and that's good. And that's probably one of the big reasons why that fiscal update from earlier this week didn't include billions of dollars more in terms of spending commitments, because that is only going to fuel inflation, right? Exactly, Rick. You've got it. Uh, she doesn't want to be the source of new inflation um, because she knows that that's going to And the federal government, frankly, you know, they have debt rolling over um, next year, the year after in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So they're also looking at it from their own balance sheet point of view. You know, those roll over at higher interest rates, you know, will be paying for those those loans. So. Yeah, it's disheveling to think that we're going to spend as much money servicing the debt as we spend on healthcare in this country. It's just, it's bonkers. It is. Yeah, that's a really good point, Rick, you raise about just the size of our debt burden. Uh, in any household, any normal household, you know, who has credit card debt that's 10% of their annual budget, you know, it's going to be nervous. Last one for you. We know we have a skilled workforce shortage. Are we making some gains? Because that's that's a big factor in all this, too. Yeah, good point. Um, we are making some, I mean, the fall economic statement talks about two things. It talks about tweaking the immigration system to give points to skilled labor, which we've been asking for, and which is a really good start. The second thing is that she's trying to work on enabling more interprovincial transfer of skilled labor. You know, right now, every province seems to have their own accreditations in a lot of fields. Um, so she is working on that as well. Both of those are good things. And of course, the third thing we might have talked about last time on the show is going back into the high schools and and telling those those folks in the high schools, you know what? Being in a trade is a pretty good career. And I'm talking men and women. Absolutely. Think about women going into the trades. Uh, this is a good career. You can you can work anywhere. Everybody needs plumbers, electricians, framers, all of those things. We need more of those folks. Yeah, that's one uh, sector of the economy that will never be taken over by AI. And I'm 100% confident in saying that. Uh, and we, sh we shone a spotlight on that a couple of weeks ago with the Industry Education of Council of Hamilton that's doing some amazing work with the education system, including elementary school students, and getting them thinking about entering the trades. Um, Michael, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you very much. Bye, Rick. Michael Brooks is the CEO of RealPAC, the Real Property Association of Canada, online at realpac.ca. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is a new report out from the Atmospheric Fund, and it shows that Hamilton's per-person carbon emissions are worse than the greater Toronto area. These are numbers back from 2022. So post-pandemic, you know, we're kind of getting back to normal by then. Toronto's carbon emissions, CO2 emissions, are at 5.2 tons. Hamilton, 16.2. Triple what's going on in Toronto. Dr. Linda Lukasek is the director of the Office of Climate Change Initiatives with the City of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dr. Lukasek, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm okay. So we have three, at least according to these 2022 numbers, three times as much 
carbon emissions in Hamilton than Toronto. What is going on? We do. I'm going to start by saying to you that includes our industrial emissions. So if you take those away, we're at about 8.7 per capita, 8.7 tons, um, which is not great either, but definitely um, not as high as the 16.2. And those industrial emissions, I would argue, you know, that's a shared source because that industry provides products and supports well beyond the community of Hamilton. Um, but one thing that I will say, if, if you compare Hamilton and Toronto, you know, those that 5.2 level for Toronto reflects the reality that Toronto is a higher density community. So people in Toronto have better ability to live um, with a lower carbon footprint. They can walk, they can take public transit, those systems are in place, there, there's that higher density um, living that exists there. Uh, and we're heading in that direction in Hamilton, we're, we're, we've, we've recommitted to that firm urban boundary, and we're working hard to build more complete communities so that people can live with a lower carbon footprint into the future. You mentioned that, uh, the, you know, th these numbers are, at least in Hamilton's sake, a uh, really dependent or, I guess, uh, show the industrial factor that uh, goes along with, uh, you know, these carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. I, th I thought, however, that industry was cleaning up their act. Is it just happening too slowly? They, they are. So, so we're in an interesting spot right now. Um, we're really, you know, the city's really in, in a big implementation phase and the same holds true for others. So yes, we do know that for Hamilton, we've already, we've already heard fantastic news about ArcelorMittal DeFasco in a transition to green steel. That's hugely important. That's going to bring significant reductions that are going to benefit Hamilton, um, the broader GTHA and, and the planet, quite honestly. Um, but, but in the meantime, we are seeing this interesting, um, trend in the direction of increases. It's happening globally, which is, which is troubling. Um, but but um, we're not alone, I guess, is what I'm saying in the fact that there are these increases happening coming out of the pandemic. In the Hamilton case, we know that the increases we've seen between 2021 and 2022, for instance, almost 50% is due to industry. Um, and, and then behind them, not too far behind them, are buildings, right? The way we heat and cool our buildings, we're largely dependent on fossil fuels, and that's having an impact through greenhouse gas emissions. And, and then third in that list is transportation transportation, how we're moving around our community and in and out of our community has an impact as well. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. Linda Lukasik, Director of the Office of Climate Change Initiatives with the City of Hamilton. We're talking about the per-person carbon emissions in Hamilton. Back in 2022, we had three times as much than Toronto, twice as high as the GTA overall. I would say discouraging nonetheless, considering that Hamilton declared a climate emergency in 2019. What progress has been made over the last four years to address that emergency? Yes, so so lots of work. And, you know, it's interesting sitting in my role now, I can tell you I was on the outside advocating um, at that time, you know, 2019 and before for a very ambitious uh, climate action strategy. So last year in August of 2022, our city council approved Hamilton's climate action strategy. So we now have a very detailed plan moving forward. It consists of a carbon, a, a greenhouse gas mitigation plan. So how do we reduce those emissions? It also includes a climate change impact adaptation plan because we know we're living with the impacts of the climate crisis already. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm in the city now with a with a team of three others in a newly formed Office of Climate Change Initiative. That initiative, that office is almost a year old, 
And we're working very hard with other city staff and people in the community to start to implement those actions. So that's really our focus now. Uh, and what you're going to see um, is more and more effort on the ground to, to reduce those GHGs, but also um, to adapt, to pay attention to how, how we're being impacted already. So I can tell you, for instance, we just had council this week pass an enabling bylaw that gives us the green light to move forward with a program we call Better Homes Hamilton. And that's a home energy retrofit opportunity because as I, you know, I already said, buildings are our second largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. So you're going to see Hamiltonians stepping up and, and doing what they need to do to transition their homes um, so that their heating and cooling systems are climate friendly. So there's one example, but we, you know, there's a long list of, of other actions that'll be rolling out uh, a, an EV strategy for the city to help to support that transition to clean, green electricity. Um, we're working on carbon budgeting for the municipality. The list goes on and on, uh, but lots of work happening right now to get all the pieces in place to, to go full force with implementation. Well, it'll be interesting to see in two, five, ten years how these numbers change. It sounds like a lot of stuff is being undertaken, and uh, we hope to see a much uh, uh, greener space that we call home here in Hamilton. Dr. Lukasik, always appreciate your time. Thanks for waking up with us here on GMH. Thanks, Rick. Have a great day. You too. Dr. Linda Lukasik is the director of the Office of Climate Change Initiatives with the City of Hamilton. And uh, yeah, we all need to do a better job, I think, of protecting our environment. And uh, clearly the city has lots of plans in place to get to us, uh, get us to that uh, better place. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. If you are shopping till you drop, can you do so while still staying on budget? If you even have a budget. Paul Anachak is the Vice President, Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions and joins us now on this Black Friday edition of Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Paul, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. I've, you know, been monitoring the news reports to see if there's any, uh, especially in the States, uh, stampedes going into the malls. But uh, so far, it seems so good good this year so far so good we have producer liz russell in the us of a as we speak and saying uh, through her social media feeds that the crowds aren't as crazy wild as they were last year so maybe that is a good sign and and probably a reality where we are economically and maybe we'll start there because there's a number of surveys that have been released that are showing that canadian consumers are ready to shop some of them going down south some of them hopping online because this american tradition has certainly taken hold north of the border right Paul? Rick, it truly has taken hold. According to a survey released on Wednesday from JJL Commercial Real Estate, Black Friday is now the top day to shop here in Canada. The survey reveals that almost 80% of Canadians are expected to do some shopping today. The poll also shows that Black Friday has elipsed Boxing Day, which is a statutory holiday, as the number one shopping day for Canadians. Now, unlike our friends down to the south, it's not a statutory holiday here. However, there are surveys showing that more than 1 million Canadians will call in sick today. The survey also shows that, you know, shopping malls are the top destination this year, with 95% saying they'll visit one at least once and spend an average between 60 to 90 minutes at the mall. Four in 10 Canadians polled classified themselves as savers and their top motivator this year was looking for a deal where six in ten are focused on meaningful experiences and fostering connections with loved ones and these so-called savers are planning on spending 
$804 this year and the non-saver, $1,200. You know, now Canadians are saying, you know, money is their top priority uh, for actually um, purchasing this year. So they want to save money this year, which is a good sign. Now that's followed by family and friends giving them what they want. Now I want to point, that's a significant change from last year because, you know, last year getting gifts for loved ones was rated last and now it's second. So it's somewhat concerning that, you know, it seems that many Canadians now prioritize getting loved ones, uh, what they want, uh, as they want, basically, here in Canada. Interesting stuff. For those who are seeking those bargains, whether it's down south, at the mall, or maybe they're logging on and and searching out Black Friday deals, what tips do you have for those individuals to avoid packing on the debt? Because it's easy to do. Well, I can't really stress the importance enough of having a holiday budget before heading out. That is the key. You need to determine what you really want to spend and create your budget based on this dollar figure. And when you're creating a budget, please do not use your line of credit in there or whatever room you have on your credit card. So it's important that you stick to that budget. So that's a clear thing. You know, even though people are running to the mall for deals, search out your deals before know what you're going in for because this is a day that impulse buying is going to be at its high so when it comes to those who are shopping whether they have a budget or not what what other advice can you share with our listeners this morning well if they're going to go out go out with their debit card don't use your credit card and you know what uh if you want to use a credit card buy a prepaid visa that has a specific limit on it Also, avoid spending more money on your credit card than you can avoid to pay next month. Also today, consider, you know, use some of your rewards or loyalty points to pay for some of the holiday purchase today. So when you're at the checkout and they ask you if you want to use that points, say yes today. And the last thing you want to have happen is a year from now, still paying off the debt from last Christmas shopping season or, or last year's Black Friday shopping extravaganza. There's a couple of reasons for that. Number one is holiday regret, because we know that every year in the survey show every year that people make purchases that they regret, and you really don't want to be paying for that a year later. Now, buy now and pay later is also a concern, because number one, if you can't afford the item now, chances are you're not going to be able to afford it in the future. And number two, if you are getting a buy now, pay later, you might not be able to pay later, and you might have those interest charges automatically attacked to the item. Lots of great tips from Paul Anacek, Vice President, Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions. Paul, appreciate the time and uh, I guess happy and safe shopping. Yes, thanks, Rick. Have a great day. Uh, you can join Paul and I tomorrow morning for Ask the Experts with BDO Debt Solutions. You can find out more information online, bdodebt.ca. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Shona Thompson in America as we speak to do some Black Friday and Thanksgiving long weekend shopping. So, too, is content producer Liz Russell, who crossed the border to see what deals and what crowds were like down in the U.S. of A. And she's also going to give us, uh, I'm hoping, a little update on the border crossing this morning. And uh, Ms. Russell joins us now on GMH on 900 CHML. Liz, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Rick? I'm good. Where do we find you this morning? Uh, right now, I'm in my second store of the day. I'm actually at Target, uh, at, just over on Military Boulevard in Niagara Falls, New York. Excellent. So what? Uh, let, let's go to the border. What? Uh, you know, everyone saw and heard what happened on Wednesday at the Rainbow Bridge. How was it crossing over the border this morning? 
So with what happened earlier this week, I wanted to give myself some time. I was like, maybe there will be people rushing to get over the border. And I'm kind of glad that I did. When I came over last year, I literally flew through. There was no one. This year, I actually waited 20 to 25 minutes to cross over the border because I think people were trying to take into account, okay, yeah, they're open, but there's going to be a rush. So they went as early as they could at the same time that I did. <laughs> which, uh, which bridge did you take? Oh, I crossed over at Lewiston. Uh, now, when I was waiting in line to get up into Walmart, there was a, uh, a bunch of people, actually, one of them standing right in front of me right now. <laughs> um, they crossed over the Rainbow Bridge and they saw what was left of the booth. Mm -hmm. And it's not much. They've roped it off. The booth is gone uh, where the car collided. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it, that's gone. <laughs> yeah, that, that's certainly a sight to behold for sure. Talk about the crowds. Are they big? Are they small? Uh, how are they looking this year? Well, last year when I arrived, there was a line at the Walmart. This year, I was the first person in line. Uh, I don't think the crowds are anywhere near the same as they were last year. When I came over to Target, like, it's only just starting to get busy now. Before, not so busy at all. Like, like I, I could bowl down some of the aisles. There was not many people. Hmm. Now it's starting to pick up. I'm seeing lines starting to form. Uh, it's It's definitely not the same busyness that you would expect for a Black Friday. Yeah, but I think there's a reasoning for it. Well, yeah, um, certainly considering the economic climate that we're in, that's that's probably the big reason why, right? Interest rates, the cost of things. I would argue yes, absolutely. Like the cost of things, I mean, I, before coming over, I was plotting out what I wanted to get, what I saw online versus could I get it back home? And if I can get it back home, is it a deal? Uh, but I think the other part of it, too, is a lot of these retailers like Target, like Walmart and Kohl's, they're starting to push their Black Friday sales back. I went over to the States a couple weeks ago and they were already putting out Black Friday deals. Hmm. Um, I was getting messages from on online retailers like Sheen, Bloomstick, Cider. They were sending out notifications about Black Friday deals in October. So I think there's not so much of a rush anymore going, I need to get that amazing deal because they can get it online or they can go into the store and get it ahead of time. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is GMH content producer Liz Russell, who's in the U.S. in Niagara Falls, New York, doing some Black Friday shopping. Are you seeing any big deals? Yes and no. Um, there are like the TVs on sale. But once again, you have to be careful. I mean, I know the Walmart was selling like PlayStations for $4.99, like $499. But when you do the conversion to that with coming back over the border and what is actually going for sale over back home, it's not that great of a deal. Whereas, I mean, I've been looking at stuff for my son for a while. I've managed to get him a Hot Wheels track for $29.99. And it's a track. Oh, I think we may have lost Liz. You still with us, Liz? She may have just dropped, shopped, and then dropped. She's down for the count. <laughs> well, if we can reconnect with Liz, great. Uh, if not, it sounds like she's having a great time in Niagara Falls, New York, with some Black Friday shopping. And as you heard, yeah, there, there are some deals, but, you know, now, and especially with Black Friday being stretched, as you, as you heard from Liz, like in October it's starting. And you can do you have time. It's not a it's not an event anymore where it's just the Friday. Right. We have Liz back. Liz, we were fearful that you had finally dropped after doing all this shopping. <laughs> not yet. I could go for several more hours. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just talking about what you were what you uh, purchased for your son. Oh, okay. So there was a Hot Wheels set that I found over here. It's Super Mario themed. I have not been able to find this one back home at all. 
Um, I've been trying to divert him away from trains and that kind of stuff. And he's really into monster trucks and cars. Uh, but once again, I have to be careful. Like, is this something that I can get back home? Luckily, this one, no, I, I can't. So I'm going to be buying that one for him. Um, as I mentioned, he's into monster trucks. They had, I posted it to my Twitter, a giant monster truck. But once again, once you do the conversion and knowing what the prices of these things are back home, wasn't a deal. So the giant megalodon monster truck stays. <laughs> <laughs> It'll stay on the shelf. Well, that that is a good tip to do your homework, do your research, do those math calculations, and you will win the day on this Black Friday. Liz, always appreciate the time. Thanks for everything that you do and uh, happy shopping. Absolutely. Thanks, Rick. That's Liz Russell, content producer here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Earlier this week, the Rainbow Bridge in Niagara Falls uh, was in utter chaos, and we were all fearing the worst, but... After that deadly high-speed car crash, terrorism has been ruled out, and uh, thankfully so, because that would have, uh, I think, changed our world even more so. But good news, Rainbow Bridge reopening last night, and investigators still trying to piece together why this driver lost control of the vehicle. It looked like he hit the fence, and this uh, fire started, and then all of a sudden he went up in the air, and then it was a ball of fire, like 30, 40 feet high. I've never seen anything like it. At this time, there is no indication of a terrorist-involved attack here at the Rainbow Bridge in Western New York. A man and his wife were in that white Bentley, died in the crash. And you'll recall that at the time, all four border bridges in Niagara Falls and Fort Erie were closed as authorities were trying to figure out what was going on. And that obviously had a huge impact, including on the transport industry, which brings us to our next guest here on GMH. Steve Foxcroft is with Fluke Transport and TriFoxco USA and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Steve, good morning. How are you? I'm doing good, Rick. Good to be on GMH with you. Take us back to Wednesday morning. This is all going down. What's going through your mind? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, that 11 a.m. hour, right in the heat of the day. We're very busy, and the word came out about the incident at the Rainbow Bridge. And, of course, uh, from our past people our age, we know of the 9-11 attacks, and that's what you think of a terrorism situation. And we do have many trucks crossing the border every day. I will say this, that because of the coming uh Thanksgiving Thursday at that time and Black Friday, the people that receive our goods on the Buffalo side were kind of winding up. So we had a few trucks traveling down towards the bridge at that time, like not the Rainbow Bridge. They don't cross there, but the other bridges, which, of course, then closed by about noon, things were locked up and it did what it was a concern. So we're as the other concern is we're thinking wh- how long will they be closed? So we were able to reroute the trucks that were in transit. Luckily, kind of because what I said about the Thursday Friday closures at the other side of the border at the customers over there, we didn't have any trucks over there at the time when normally we would. So that was a bit of a relief because we didn't know at the time how long they would be stranded over there. So we were able to reroute the trucks. We dodged uh, a situation and we got them back. But we were still wondering, would it be until Monday? And would the goods on those trucks be needed or would we have to offload them, reload them again and so on? Because the situation that is different from the pandemic, when the pandemic closed the bridges to most of us, we as truckers were essential service at the time. So we didn't really have to worry about 
the bridges being closed because they weren't really closed to us. And that's where I think a lot of people uh, don't remember that, that we were still flowing at that time. But in this case, they were closed. So the only options were like Windsor, Detroit, really, because Thousand Islands is another bridge that was open at the time. But that's a a long distance out of our way. Yeah, absolutely. So you're uh, at dispatch at the moment that this crash happens. How chaotic of a scene was it? Oh, it it was uh, a a sense of urgency of trying to think through all the situations at once, right? And and going through in our minds, what actually is this? And of course, you're distracted by the terrorism element that was in all of our minds at that time. So we were trying to just stay calm and think through and, of course, reach out to our drivers to find out where they are on their day. We did have one, that little sense of calmness came in with the Thanksgiving Thursday because we did know that they were kind of wrapping up business for the week. So that that helped us a lot, and it was a calming situation. But really, we were lucky and fortunate because that's really just a, a spot on the calendar, right, where we were fortunate that those two days off in America were going to help us in this situation. Absolutely. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Steve Foxcroft with Fluke Transport and TriFoxco USA, reflecting on Wednesday's deadly high-speed car crash that closed the Rainbow Bridge and the three other bridges in Niagara Falls and Fort Erie greatly impacted the transportation industry. And I know being in dispatch, you have access to the drivers on the road. What were they saying? Yeah, it was getting, uh, the situation was just becoming a traffic jam at the point, right? Nothing was moving near the bridges and that. And me personally, we have an office in the States and I have a green card and I travel across that bridge so many times. So for me, I know it so intimately. And, you know, the other thing that was coming in was the the incorrect information because the Buffalo News was reporting that it was a car coming from Canada into the U.S., So I'm picturing that in my mind when, in fact, it was a car from the U.S. back into Canada and knowing that area where it launched into the secondary inspection area so well, because I've been there so many times and I'm just picturing uh, knowing so many people there and how uh, that it could just be a huge disaster with what they were describing. So we were trying to get correct information. And I do have to applaud Mayor Jim Diodati from Niagara Falls, New York. He is dynamite. He was so good and communicative and, and accessible, too. And I just have to applaud him. You know, the Diodati family, we're fortunate that we have his brother, Ryan Diodati, <laughs> on the Hamilton Police Services. And his brother, Jim, is mayor down in Niagara Falls. And he did a great job. He was informative and uh, giving us a lot of information to go with, too. So, you know, when these situations happen, people step up. And I think that was a case in this instance as well. Absolutely. It was all hands on deck. And uh, thankfully, everyone uh, made it through, uh, you know, apart from the two individuals who died, which was very sad. It's great to hear that terrorism was not involved. Steve, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time this morning and uh, happy trails on the road. 
Yeah, for sure. And and Rick, quickly, if Shona and Liz need to uh, get a fluke truck to get some of their Black Friday purchases <laughs> back over the border, let us know. Listen, they might need a truck the way they're going. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Steve. Steve okay. Foxcroft with Fluke Transport and TriFoxco USA. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.